this is hope. And hopefully, hopefully, I'm hoping that you'll go away from here with a lot of hope in your heart. I have some questions for you this morning. As a matter of fact, throughout my teaching, I've got some, some questions that are going to repeat themselves, and so I hope you don't mind a little repetition. But uh, the first question is, what are you waiting for this Christmas? What are you waiting for? You know, hope is a powerful thing. They say we can live without food for a while. We can even last without water a little while. But we can't last without hope. Hope is the ability for us to endure what is because we believe there's something that could be better. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a 20th century German pastor and a theologian. He was killed in a Nazi concentration camp, and he said this, and I quote, Whoever does not know the blessing of hopefully doing without will never experience the full blessing of fulfillment. End of quote. If you know the story, you know that man's history, you've read any of his writings, you know that that's a very powerful statement. You see, without hope, waiting seems pointless. But Christmas, can I remind you, is a season of hope. It's more than a season of merriment. All it takes is a box. You could have a box like this one. Or you could, um, uh, you, could, you could have a box, a gift, like this. And all it takes is a gift like this with one of your kids' names on it. And that generates hope. Because there's nothing more hopeful than an unopened Christmas gift with your name on it. Because when you think about it, nobody knows what's in here. This could be anything. This could be anything. This could be that thing that you've been, maybe you've always wanted. Or it could just be a sweater. But it could be that thing you've always wanted. I mean, it could be, matter of fact, it could be this. Let's watch. Can of Simon eyes. Kelvin, what did Aunt Clary give you? Show everybody. I don't want to. Ralphie, show everybody what Aunt Clara gave you. <sighs> Aunt Clara had for years labored under the delusion that I was not only perpetually four years old, but also a girl. She just always gives you the nicest things, Ralphie. Oh, my. Oh, isn't that sweet? Ralph, go upstairs and try it on. And I don't want to. Go upstairs right now and try on that present. She went to all that trouble to make it. Now, go on. My feet began to sweat as those two fluffy little bunnies with the blue button eyes stared sappily up at me. Come down here so I can see you better. I just hoped that Flick would never spot him, as the word of this humiliation could easily make life at Warren G. Harning School a veritable hell. Oh, isn't that cute? That is the most precious thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a deranged Easter bunny. He does not. He does too. He looks like a pink nightmare. Are you happy wearing that? Do you want to take it off? Let's get tell the kid to take it off. All right, you'll only wear it when Aunt Clara visits. Go on and take it off. Take it off. So, how many of you been watching that movie this week? <laughs> Over and over and over and over again. Oh, wow. But it could be, not the pink bunny suit, but it could be that thing you've always wanted. And it makes you wait in anticipation of what it could be. And it's not just the kids. 
Even as adults, huh? If there's an unopened package with your name on it somewhere, you begin to wonder. Oh, that could be that thing I've always wanted. Looks a little small, but there could be a set of car keys in there. Doesn't, doesn't have to be a big package for car keys because that's what hope does. Hope is what could be, even though you don't want to wait to open that present with your name on it, you can do it, and you have done it, and you can wait because it just might be that thing you've always wanted. Now, Christmas is known as the season of Advent, and Advent is the season on the Christmas calendar leading up to Christmas. Specifically, it's the four Sundays before Christmas, and so we're coming up now to the, this is the fourth Sunday. The tradition of Advent dates back, it goes back to the fifth century, possibly even earlier. And essentially, it is a season of expectation, it's a season of preparing for the arrival of the Messiah, and Advent embraces the idea that things are not as they should be yet, But God is coming, and God is going to show up to set all things right. So Christmas is a time of hope, and it's a time of waiting. Uh, Let me just do an informal, unscientific poll, just quickly. How many of you would say you are good at waiting? See your hands. Okay, six people. Now... That means, by putting your hand up, you're saying to me that you're good at it, you don't have a problem with waiting, and it doesn't really get in your way. Okay, how many of you, or how many of us, are not so good at waiting? Let me see your hand. Look around, just look around. Okay, that's more like it. We don't know what to do with waiting. And here's why. Because we don't like waiting. We don't particularly care for it. Like, we don't like going to the airport to find that our flight's been delayed. Right, Guatemala team? We don't like sitting in construction traffic. I find that to be chronic in this area in which we live, and I always chuckle Um, We moved here from very near the center of Dallas, Texas, and we're driving I-35 and the LBJ freeway 635, and people here get excited about a little 10 or 15 or 20-minute traffic jam, and boy, it's really, it's the end of the world. Why? Because we don't like to wait. That's just in our nature. We don't like going to a restaurant being given a pager. Why? Because what does that mean? You got to wait. We don't like going to the doctor because we have to spend time sitting where? In the what room? Yeah, yeah. We're not too crazy about that. We don't like waiting because most of us view waiting as wasting. Right? Waiting equals wasting. We're wasting time. We could be doing other things. We could be accomplishing something worthwhile. But no, no, we're waiting. But here's the thing. God is not in a hurry. Matter of fact, can I add to that? God is never in a hurry. There are some things that happen while you're waiting. Listen very carefully because some of you need this. That that can only happen while you're waiting. And so Advent is essentially a season of waiting and welcoming. For ancient Jews, let me give you some history. For hundreds and hundreds of years... They were waiting for their Messiah. At the time of Christ's birth, they'd waited for 400 years just to hear from God. For God to just break his silence. And from the time of God's promise to Abraham until the birth of Jesus was about 2,000 years. Now, now I want to just repeat that so everybody here understands. 2,000 years of waiting But now it's not just in biblical history that we wait. And it's not just on a global scale that we wait for God to make some things right here on earth. I imagine there are people in this room right now who are in a season of waiting. I mean, you are waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for something maybe in the culture to change. You're waiting for something that you are close to to just turn around. 
You're waiting for something to get fixed. And the only reason you are waiting is because you have a hope that maybe that situation could be different. Some of you are waiting for a turnaround in your financial situation. We've already addressed that this morning. There's your answer. Some of you are waiting for the job situation to improve. Some of you are waiting for a son or daughter to come back home. Some of you are waiting for a breakthrough in your marriage. Some of you are waiting for uh, improvement in some issue about your health. Some of you are waiting for the fog to clear emotionally so you can get on with your life. Some of you are waiting for clarity about your next steps in life. Some of you are waiting for God to answer that prayer. You've been praying it for months, maybe even years. And some of you are waiting for me to get to the end of this list. Why? 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 Because we don't like waiting. There isn't a person in here that would stand and give testimony and say, oh, no, I, I really like waiting. And yet there is something that happens in the waiting that cannot happen any other way. And God is saying to you, here's what God's saying. And, and many times we try to play God. We try to set God's timetable. We try to get answers when people ask those tough questions. God is saying to us in our waiting, there is something beyond what you think and be, actually beyond what you have ever imagined that is possible and in many cases will actually happen if you wait. So it's Christmas Sunday. I haven't forgotten and we'll come back to that. And I want to turn to the Christmas story. Now, let me tell you that in the New Testament, there are clearly two versions of the Christmas story. They're not really different, but they sound different. They look different. You would say, oh, and they don't contradict one another. Matter of fact, they complement one another. One is in the Gospel of Matthew. The other is in the Gospel of Luke. Most of you are pretty familiar with the Luke account. Luke is the more familiar of the two, that's why. And we'll be reading it a little bit later, you know, just in a few minutes. But for now, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew begins his version of the Christmas story in a rather odd way. And you could start reading into it and say, well, this isn't really what I want. This isn't the Christmas story. Yes, it is. He starts the Christmas story with the genealogy of Jesus. He essentially starts with a list of names, or you could call it Jesus' family tree. Now, if you have a Bible, or you're on your Bible app on your mobile device, or you're in, we're in Matthew chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put some text on the screen so you can follow along. First off, we're going to put Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. Then we slip down in Matthew 1 to verse 10. We're going to read 10, 11, and 12. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. You getting all this? It'll be a test. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. I'll explain that. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. You know all those fellows, huh? Now I want you to slip down to verse 15, and we read these words. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, I didn't read, if you have your Bible open, I didn't read the whole list. Some of the names that I read are unfamiliar to you. You've probably never heard them before. They're definitely hard names to pronounce, but I don't believe that they're there by accident. Matter of fact, I don't believe that any word or any name or any descriptive thing, whether it be a person, place, or thing, is in the Bible by accident. It, all, it has a meaning in its own root uh, derivative, and I believe God put those names here on purpose. Now, we don't often talk about this part of the Christmas story because it doesn't seem to fit with the ideas. See, we have these ideas 
these westernized world ideas of what fits with the idea of Christmas and what it should be. They're very pure. First it's a snowfall, then it's a beautiful winter scene, then it's people getting along, then it's everything that's peaceful and serene. And that's what we think of at Christmas. That's what we think Christmas is. So we look at these names and we discover their stories and it really doesn't feel very Christmassy. And we're sitting here in Matthew 1 saying, could we please go to Luke 2 real quickly? No. For instance, there are people on this list who were prostitutes, who were liars, who were cheaters, who were adulterers, who were murderers. Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Pass the eggnog, right? See, we just don't think these names and their stories fit with the Christmas story. Sorry. That's what I love about the Bible. This will come as a great relief to many people. The Bible is not about plastic people who pretend to have it all together. Can I give you a word of grandfatherly advice? If you do, when you finally get it all together, by then you'll forget where you put it. But a whole lot of people are walking around who think they've got it all together. And if you haven't, or by their, by their judgment if you haven't, they're quick to let you know that they've got it together, and some people don't. The Bible isn't about plastic people. It's about real people. It's about people like you, people like me. It's about people who struggle. It's about people who understand that life isn't all just the bowl of cherries that some people make it out to be. People who struggle, and at the same time, those could be people who have had much joy in their life and also had times of deep, deep sadness. And for those of us who feel hopeless in times of waiting, what we're going to look at in the next few minutes, I hope, will be help to you. And I want to get to the practical side here. Now, let's look at a few of these characters in Matthew chapter 1. The first one I want to look at is the very first name on the list, and his name is Abraham. Now, here's a quick summary of Abraham's life. Abraham is approached by God. He's told he'll be the father of a great nation. So he is promised by God that he'd be the father of this great nation. Uh, There was only one problem, a slight problem at that. Abraham didn't have any kids. Oh, and there was a second problem. Abraham and his wife were old. In Maine, we'd say they were wicked old. Way past the years where they could start a family or even think about it. So now, don't you love the Bible? Don't you love the Word of God? Don't you love how God works? So now you have this promise of God on the one hand. He says, you're going to be the father of a great nation. No kids, on the other hand, too old. But God promised it. And you know what happens next, don't you? You know what happened next? Yeah, nothing. No, nothing happened for 20 years. I'm saying 20 years after God appeared to Abraham, nothing happened. All he had to live on was this promise. And eventually some strangers came to visit Abraham. They appeared to be angels, and they have a little meeting with Abraham, and they say, Abraham, at this time next year, you folks are going to have a son. Now look, this is 20-some years after the promise of God. So if they were old then, hello, what are they now? But they were pretty emphatic about this. But Abraham, at this time next year, you folks are going to have a son. Now if you go to Genesis 18, you'll you'll kind of see a little background to, to this story. Because his wife Sarah had a response. She was kind of listening to the conversation from, in, from just inside the tent, and she could hear what was going on. If you went down to verse eight, uh, 11 of Genesis 18, 10 and 11, Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord or my master is old, will I now have this pleasure, the pleasure of childbearing? Can that even be? 
Now, not exactly in the same scenario, but can I ask you this question? Have you ever been there? I mean, you've been feeling hopeless for a while already, and then somebody comes up to you and says, look, look, it's going to work out. Things are going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Just take your hands off it and let God work. But you're thinking, well, first off, you're thinking, step closer because I want to punch you. But you're thinking, what do you mean? Everything's going to be fine. Do you know what I've been dealing with? Do you know how long I've been dealing with it? Do you know how difficult this has been? Do you know how much pain this causes me? Do you know how long I've hoped that something, something, something positive would turn around and something would get better and something would change, but it never does? What do you mean it's going to be fine? Man, I love God's response to Sarah. If you stay in Genesis 18 and slip down to verse 14, here's the response. He says, is anything too hard or too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? About this time next year, I will come back, said the Lord, and Sarah will have a son. You know what? After 20 years of sitting on that promise and of waiting on God, God's promise was fulfilled This is the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. Fulfilled on God's time, in God's timing, not according to their timetable. See, people have deep-seated questions that they've been carrying around in their hearts for years and in their minds, and oftentimes they'll come to a pastor, a preacher, a priest, or whatever, and, and they'll ask that question because they figure if they get an answer to that question, then everything else would just spill over. And here's the answer to whatever question you're gonna, I'm going to be faced with today. Because <laughs> somebody will ask me a question and try to trip me up. Here's the answer to your question. If God has promised it, God will fulfill it. But it won't be on your timetable. Nor will it be a mine. It will be according to God's timing. God's never in a hurry. Let me say this if you're note taking God is never late, and He's always on time. So, Sarah gives birth to a son. What's his name? Very good class. I'd say I'm going to keep you all in after school, but I don't have a room big enough to put you in. And so Sarah has a son, and what's his name? Isaac. Isaac. Well, don't get proud down here. It's spelled right. (laughs) Um, So Sarah has a son, and his name is Isaac. And Isaac grows up, and he has a son, and what's his name? Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons whose descendants become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Christmas is for the hopeless. Christmas is for people who feel like giving up. Christmas is for the impatient. Christmas is for people who've waited long enough. (laughs) Christmas is for people who say, man, it's never going to get any better, I don't think. Christmas is for the hopeless because grace always comes at the perfect time. Second story I want to tell you about includes these names. Jeconiah, Shealtiel, and Zerubbabel. Now, if you're looking for some great baby names that are a little unique and you're thinking of starting a family, feel free. What? The spelling's right here in Matthew 1. You just... These were all men who were part of Jesus' family tree. And after a time in Israel's history, called, a time called the exile, they played some pretty pivotal roles. In the 6th century before Christ, the nation of Israel had gotten off track badly. I mean, their disobedience went on and on and on, and it just went on long enough. And God decided to bring judgment to the nation, so he brought the nation of Babylon to come in, and, and, and they conquered them. And not only did Babylon invade and conquer them, but also they actually removed the people from their land, and they brought them back with them to Babylon. 
I mean, these people were ripped from their homes. They were ripped from their families. They were ripped from everything familiar. We're seeing some of that happen in our world today, even as we speak. And set down into a culture where they didn't know the language. They didn't know the customs. They didn't know or believe in the religion. All the while, firmly believing that they would never return to the land they knew as their home. Talk about people who knew what it was to be hopeless. They just figured their story was over. And for 70 years, that was their reality. 70 years in captivity. And then Babylon was conquered by a neighboring nation, by Persia, and about 50,000 Israelites were allowed to return to their homeland after 70 years. I know some of you have been waiting. You've been waiting for like um, six months. Some of you may have been waiting for a couple years, maybe three years. Some of you in the room today, you've been waiting for 10 years. And here's, I've got some really encouraging news for you. After 70 years, some of the people of the nation of Israel were allowed to go back, and they were led by men like Zerubbabel, who was included in the family tree of Jesus. And Zerubbabel, in particular, was very instrumental in leading people back to Israel, setting a framework for the rebuilding of the temple of God, which was the center of worship of the one true God. So, they are included in the family tree because Matthew is letting us know. Matthew is saying to us, hey, there are times of hopelessness. And as you look around our world today, and you look around our Western civilization, and you look around our neighborhood, there's some situations that just seem hopeless. They just seem like nobody's ever going to speak to this. Nobody's ever going to make this better. But God never, trust me when I say this, God never leaves us hopeless. And God hasn't left us hopeless even today. And even though we may not see a way out, even though we don't see a future, God sees a future because he is the future. And God has a plan for us, and that plan is good. So you say, Bob, what does that, this, all this have to do with Christmas? <coughs> Excuse me. And what's it have to do with you and me? And what's it have to do with us? Or what's it have to do as a church? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Pastor Todd's going to come. And he's going to share a few more thoughts that I know you're going to find helpful. And it'll take from where I am and move you forward. So... You're taking notes. Let's get some good notes down, Todd. Yeah, I want to. Sorry, I want to just talk about a couple things um, that we should lean into in our waiting. And uh, if you aren't waiting right now, it's coming. Maybe you're just coming out of a season of waiting, and you know exactly where you're. You totally get it, and you're going to agree with some of these things because you've learned this in the process. So here, let's dive right in. Number one, we need to find strength in the source of our hope. So it's critically important when it comes to hope is what is it that you're hoping for? What you might call the object of your hope. What is it that you hope happens? What do you hope gets better? That's the object of your hope. And it's important to identify that, uh, but it's even more important to identify the source of your hope. What is your hope in? See, what are you hoping for and what is your hope in? Christmas is only a few days away. And chances are you're mostly done with your Christmas shopping. Um, But I need to do a a little poll to figure this out. How many of you had someone in your life who gave you a list or told you specifically what they wanted for Christmas? How many of you had that happen? Wow. They know exactly what they want, don't they? It needs to be this, and it needs to be this model, and this color, and it needs to be this many gigabytes, and this year's model, not last year's model. And, and then after, giving them, after they give you all the specifics of all the things that they want, they're like, oh, but, you know, whatever, just surprise me. <laughs> and the thing is, most likely, you got it for them, most likely, because you love them, and you like to see them smile, and it brings joy to you. But I would guess that... Uh, You knew when you were buying that thing, you knew in the back of your mind, you were thinking before next Christmas, 
this is going to end up in a plastic bin in the basement or in the back of a closet somewhere. You knew that. And I think God knows us. I think God knows that the thing that we think would be amazing and the thing that we think, you know, if I just had that, if this just turned around, if this situation was different, we think if this would just change, things would be so much better. And God knows that every one of those circumstances that we want changed, every one of those things that we that we want so desperately to happen will ultimately end up in a plastic bin in the basement because we're never satisfied. We aren't satisfied with stuff because this year's stuff becomes last year's stuff so fast. We aren't satisfied with good circumstances because just about the time that things turn around, we look at someone else's circumstances and all of a sudden our circumstances don't seem that great. And if the thing we hope for is temporary, if the thing we hope for is circumstantial, that object is weak when it comes to hope. Let me just say it this way. The object of your hope determines the source of your hope. And the source of your hope determines the strength of your hope. Okay, so let me just kind of back up. We'll put that on the screen, let you read that through, okay? The object of your hope determines the source of your hope. And the source of your hope determines the strength of your hope. If the thing you're hoping that will happen involves people, other people, Things will eventually shift because people change and people grow and people shift with the circumstances of life and people are not static and circumstances are temporary. Or if the thing that you're hoping for is tangible, then it's also temporary because this year's thing will soon be replaced by next year's thing. Remember your first friend who had a flat panel TV? Do you remember that person? You hated them, but you liked to spend time at their place on Sunday afternoons in the fall. Uh, yeah. And it was, it was probably an LCD or a plasma, and it was probably like 32 inches wide. I mean, it was wild. It was crazy stuff. It was like space-age stuff. It, it was sweet, and it probably cost them like $2,000. And you couldn't wait till you got one, and it was on your wish list for like five years, you know? And you finally got one, only to discover like a year later that you could have gotten one six inches bigger for $300 less. Yeah? You did that, didn't you? And so now that model is on your wish list. You know, and then and then oh oh the, oh then a couple of years later you get that model, and then you discover that if you just waited you could have gotten one six inches bigger for three hundred dollars less, and so now that model's on your wish list, and and now you have plans to remodel your house so you can accommodate the screen that you really want in your house because now you can afford it and everybody has it and it's a th- you got to have it, you know, and it's so cheap. My point is that thing that we want so badly, it's not going to satisfy. The thing that you want to happen relationally is not going to satisfy. The thing that you want to happen in your career is not going to satisfy. The thing that you want to happen financially is not going to satisfy. But if the object of your hope is something eternal, the object of your hope determines the source of your hope, and the source of your hope determines the strength of your hope. And and I realize that that thing that you're hoping for, you know, if it could just be better. I mean, it's a big deal for you. I get that. I don't want to minimize the importance of it. But here's what I found in my own life. As I look back at the things that I've hoped for, circumstances and relationships and finances or whatever, after all my waiting, when it seems that I finally got what I wanted, what I was waiting for, my satisfaction with it didn't last long. And sometimes I became obsessed with it. And sometimes we even become depressed over it because it isn't as satisfying as we thought it was going to be. And in that place we begin to move further and further away from God. So I want to propose that in your waiting, in the situation that's lying ahead of you, that you would place your hope in God and that He would be the source of your hope and that His will would be the object of your hope and that the thing that you hope for is focused on the person of Jesus Christ that we would grow in our understanding and in our relationship with him, and that we would be becoming more like Jesus. Let that be our hope. Here's my second thought. Find comfort in who waits with you. Find comfort in who waits with you. Here's the thing about Abraham and even the Israelites who were in exile. God was with them the whole time. God was a part of their journey the whole time. he, He promises his presence And no matter what it is that you're waiting for, uh, no matter what season we're in, God promises to be with us. And isn't that the message of Christmas? 
If you keep reading in Matthew chapter 1 in that genealogy, and you keep going down a few verses past there in verse 21, you read words, the words of the prophet Isaiah. And Matthew's quoting Isaiah, and he says, They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. God becoming human, living among us so that he could be with us. And Christmas is all about that. And if you're in a season of waiting, you're not waiting alone. Wait, knowing that God is with you in your waiting. Thirdly, find clarity in what really matters. Find clarity in what really matters. I think especially when we're in a season of waiting, we tend to elevate a lot of stuff. And we say things like, oh, this needs to happen. Oh, this needs to get better. And I think some, I need some reassurance here. And it's really important for this to happen. And these things become so important to us that we put, we put so much weight on these things. And I think what can happen in the waiting, what can happen in the waiting, it's not automatic. But what can happen in the waiting is that you get clarity about what really matters in life, what really matters most. There's just something about waiting that can provide you an opportunity in the environment to clarify what you really need. And if we could just wait. Oh, man, but sometimes we love to act. Some of us are just wired that way, you know? At least from the scientific poll that, that Dad did a few minutes ago. I mean, most of you here don't prefer waiting. You would prefer to act. You'll wait for a while, like 15 minutes, and then it's time to act. And, uh, you know, there's a limit to how much we can wait. We love to make things happen because it's like, look, I can get it now. I can have that now. But if we would just wait, you might get some clarity about what you really need. Because when I'm not waiting, I have lots of wants. But in a season of waiting, it allows us an opportunity. If we're in the right place with Jesus, it allows us an opportunity to push back and to clarify what is it that I really need here. I know there are some things that I think I need. I know there are some things I think I need God to do for me. But maybe those are just wants. And in the waiting, I have an opportunity to get some clarity on the things that I really need. And I want to propose to you that what you and I really need is Jesus. And I know, I know that's really predictable on a Christmas Sunday morning. You know, you, you expect the pastor to say something like that. Of course, the pastor's going to say that on Christmas Sunday. And some of you are thinking, well, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And I'm still in the season of waiting. Give me something more than that. But I've got, I've got nothing else to give you. All I have to offer you is a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us, even in our waiting. And if you're a Christian and you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you come to church more than just Christmas and Easter, I mean, you know, you're in. I think you, you need something more, and I would you think you need something more, and I would suggest to you that it's time to take an honest look at the nature of your relationship with Jesus. Because if you think you need more than Jesus, I'm just going to take a guess here that your relationship with him has become stagnant. I'm going I'm to guess that it's not really moving forward. I'm going to guess someone in that relationship between you and Jesus isn't really putting much effort in. Maybe someone in this relationship with you and Jesus isn't really honestly making the relationship a priority. You know, when I come to church like almost every week or at least half the time, and I serve in the church some, if you really beg me, and I post lots of Christian memes on Facebook, you know, and I got the thing on my car. So but I'm talking about so much more than that. And for some of you, maybe the idea of following Jesus is so far from your thinking, it's just not part of your story right now. You're not even sure why you're here this morning, but... Uh, I don't know what you're hoping to experience this morning, but you're not even sure what you think about the whole deal. Let me, let me tell you something. If you're in a season of waiting, and you realize, as a lot of us in this room have, that Jesus is all you need, and you start to find the deepest longing of your soul in a growing, or to start to fill the deepest longing of your soul in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll find that he is more than enough. And sometimes you don't realize that he's all you need until he's all you have. And I know some of you aren't there yet, but I'm praying that you'll get to that place of understanding, of clarity, of what matters most, of where you stand with him. Here's my fourth and final thought. Find joy in the anticipation of God's perfect timing. Here's the thing. 
when you learn about God and you learn about these stories in the scripture about how God operates, how he operated in the past, how he operates today, when you learn about his character, when you learn that he can be trusted, and when you learn to actually trust him, you'll realize that you can have joy, not just when things are perfect, not just when things are right, not just when the circumstances have finally changed, not just when you have everything on your wish list, but you can have joy because you know who you're trusting in, and you know he's a God of perfect timing, and he's trustworthy. I love how the Apostle Paul wrote this verse about Christmas. And I love this because Paul's writing, most of it is usually about events after Christmas and after Easter and after the resurrection for that matter. But the Apostle Paul actually wrote a verse about Christmas in Galatians. And I love this. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to put it on the screen. Galatians 4. Paul says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Did you catch the first phrase of verse 4? When the right time came. At the perfect time. And if you're familiar with the redemption story that threads its way all through the Old Testament, you might be thinking, you know, but, but Todd, like Adam and Eve sinned and there were literally thousands of years before God came in the person of Jesus to heal and restore and redeem humanity. Why thousands of years? I don't know the answer to that except that Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says when the right time came, God sent his son. And we like to think, well, God should have done it this way. And if I were God, I would have done it that way. And I don't know, you know, why you're waiting so long, God, so let's do something now. In fact, if you aren't going to do something, how about if I do something and you can bless it later? That'd be cool. God came at the perfect time. And God always comes at the perfect time. And I'm telling you, God's perfect time is at work in your life and in your situation. And you might be at a place where you need to step back from the controls. Let him do what he wants to do in you. Then he'll do what he wants to do in in your situation while you wait. Christmas is all about God coming to earth because of his love for us. So can I talk to you real honestly for just a minute? I've been honest this morning, don't get me wrong, but I I want to, can I share something with you? Because I have a fear. I have a fear about Christmas time. This is my wrestling with this season. I have a fear about the church at Christmas time. We had a nice crowd this morning. I see a lot of familiar faces. So I'm talking to a lot of our church this morning. And some of you brought some friends and some family and some coworkers, and that's awesome. People come to church on Christmas Sunday and in some churches on Christmas Eve. And every year people come to a Christmas service that don't typically go to church any other time of year, and that's cool because we're really glad that you're all here this morning. Um, I hope you found this to be a welcoming experience for you, and we're really honored that you chose to worship with us this morning. But here's what I fear, that we come to Christmas services and we hear messages like this, and for the most part, it feels good. And we feel like we're in the right place for the occasion, and the words we hear and the music we sing, and it all feels good, and it, and, and it, and it, and it does. Because you sit there and you're reminded, God loves me and God offers this hope. And yeah, in this season of waiting, and it's so cool because now I feel really encouraged that even in this waiting, God is with me and God's aware and he's involved and his timing is perfect and his grace is enough. That's so great. But what often happens when you come to a Christmas service, whether you're a regular attender here at Faith Community or whether you're here because someone invited you and it's Christmas, so you thought you'd give it a shot, but you hear about hope and you hear about what that could mean in your life and then you leave. And tomorrow, you got to go back to work, and you got to go back to your routine, and you got to deal with that situation again. You know, the ex, the boss, the employees, the family member, whatever. And somewhere down the road, a week, a month, a few months down the road, something in your life begins to fall apart, and something in your mind takes you back to this moment, December 20th, 2015, Christmas Sunday. You're like, hey, why don't I have hope? Why am I so discouraged and depressed? Why am I feeling so hopeless about this situation? Here's what's missing. Today you've heard about hope, but you didn't actually respond to hope because we didn't allow you an opportunity and we didn't uh, allow hope to come into your life and you didn't really create space for that to be part of your everyday life. So, So God is like someone you visited during the holidays, but not someone you took with you. And I'm telling you, the presence of God and the promises of God are for those who respond to him. 
And God loves you so much that He'll leave the decision up to you. He won't force your hand. He wants you to choose Him, to choose a relationship with Him, to choose the hope that a relationship with Jesus offers. And He loves that you're here this morning. And I think He loves that you're hearing a message of hope from His Word this morning. But He's not going to force you to respond, and neither am I. But you could choose to respond. You could choose, if this is where you're at, to become a follower of Jesus and accept his offer of hope. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you could choose to take your relationship with him to a new level, to a deeper place, to something living and thriving and hope-filled. And i got to believe that there's somebody in this room this morning, and maybe more than a few, who are ready to respond to Jesus' offer of a hope-filled Christmas and and a hope-filled life. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Because there may be a few of you in this room who would say, I'm not going to do another Christmas without getting this right. I'm not going to do another Christmas without Jesus in it. So what I want to do is I would like for you to bow your head and close your eyes if you would join me in that. Because I'm going to pray out loud. And if you're one of those people who's ready to respond, then I just want to give you a moment in time and I want to give you some space here to respond. So I'd ask you to just kind of pray silently and you can repeat after me or you can put these thoughts into your own words. These aren't magic words. This is your heart responding to God. And hopefully if what we've talked about today makes sense, maybe life circumstances in your own personal journey have brought you to the place where you can respond. So I'm just going to ask if all of us, thank you, could, could bow our heads and close our eyes just out of respect for those who are ready to respond and invite you to pray something like this. Would you say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus was your gift to us. I believe that he died on the cross for the sins of the world and for my sins. I believe he was buried and I believe in the third day you raised him from the dead and that he was seen. I embrace him as my personal savior. I'm trusting him to provide forgiveness of all my sin, my past sin, the sins I'll commit this very day, the sins I'll commit in the future. Receive me into your family. And I'm thrilled to establish this new relationship with my heavenly father. And in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can look up at me. For those of you, this morning was your time. This was your moment in time in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. I'm going to ask you to do something really crazy, okay? Take a lot of boldness. There's a Connect card in the chair pocket in front of you and maybe a pen. If you would fill out some of the info on that, just the name, and on the back is a place for you to talk about a decision that you made today. Just give us a, a name and a contact and tell us about your decision about Jesus. We just put that in an offering box out in the lobby before you leave today. And if you're super bold, you can come and talk with me afterwards or talk with Pastor Bob or talk with the person that brought you. That would be amazing. Thank you for taking the time and giving us a space to respond. Oh, for those of you who are believers, you consider yourself a Christian, you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, I want to ask you a couple questions as we wrap up this morning. Think about this. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? I'll tell you, even as a follower of Jesus, for most of us, I mean, we find ourselves hoping for the same stuff that everybody else does and hoping that, you know, if this will just change and if I could just get this and if this situation would change and if I just had that. And I kind of have to do a gut check and say, wait, my hope needs to be in Jesus and he needs to be enough. So what are you hoping for? And then who are you hoping with? Who are you waiting with? Who's with you in your waiting? What kind of clarity do you have about what's most important right now? And who's with you in your waiting that can give you clarity? Man, it's so easy to get priorities out of whack. It, it's, it's five days before Christmas. It's 11, it's 11 days till we turn the calendar on a brand new year. What's really important to you right now? And who are you waiting with? And then what is your hope based on? Is your hope based on everything, everybody getting along this week when you're all together with family? Is, is your hope based on getting everything you want? Is your hope based on this situation or that relationship or this circumstance or this financial situation or someone's health thing? Or is your hope based on something deeper, more meaningful and eternal? So take a minute and ask yourself, what am I hoping for? This Christmas could be the most meaningful Christmas for all of us. Some of you are just coming to faith. You've come to faith since last Christmas. Others of us are getting some things back in line. 
being closer and deeper in our relationship with God than we've ever been before, I would just uh, suggest to you it's going to require pressing pause on the busyness of this week. It might require finding some time and space, some solitude. It's definitely going to require putting ourselves in a place where we can just be in the presence of God, where we can experience the presence of God and let Him work in our lives. Thank you for listening. Watch this. Yeah.